Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to get to welcome you this morning on our Youth Sunday and so glad to be collaborating with the uh, wonderful and talented and gifted youth that we have here at Chatham Community Church serving in all sorts of capacities. So I'm grateful to be here this morning. If you are a guest here, I want to say particular, I want to give you a particular welcome, and I want to welcome the folks who are with us online uh, uh, I, I am usually at our Pittsburgh campus, and Alex Kirk, who's our lead pastor, is usually here. Uh, and uh, it is great to be with you here this morning. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you've not met Alex, to come back uh, next week and meet him. Uh, he's a great, a, a great pastor and uh, is a great part of this community, and I'm sure you'll appreciate uh, getting to meet him and, uh, and uh, spend time with him. Uh, I'm going to list some songs from every decade, starting in the 2000s, and I'm going to work my way back all the way to the 1950s, uh, and they all have something in common. All the songs I'm going to list have something in common, and I want to see, as I list them, if you can pick out what these songs have in common. We're going to start with the 2010s, and the song is Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. In the 2000s, it's Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. From the 1990s, Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega. 1980s, Take On Me by AHA with that wonderful music video. From the 1970s, Brandy by Looking Glass, which you've either heard in the 1970s or you picked up in one of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. <laughs> From the 1960s, Nana Hey Hey Kiss Him Goodbye, which should be Nana Nana Hey 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 Goodbye, but that's not the title of the song. And from the 1950s, Shaboom by The Chords. Does anyone know what those songs have in common? This is not a rhetorical question. Anyone have a guess? What do these songs have in common? Yeah. They were all number one songs. I'm not sure about that, but they were all hits. That's true. Anyone else? <laughs> not going to repeat that on the live stream. <laughs> one more, one more, one more. Okay, okay, good. You guys are thinking deeply about these songs. Clearly, y'all have heard them. All right, here's what they all have in common. They were all the only major commercial hits in the U.S. for each one of those bands, which earned each of those bands the designation of one-hit wonders. Now, that label is a bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? Few musicians who aspire to make a living out of it uh, ever have that level of success, that moment of greatness. Yet the term one-hit wonder has a tinge of derision and disappointment attached to it also, doesn't it? This sense of, oh, well, you weren't good enough to have more than one moment of greatness, more than one hit. And it's sad. It's sad that we've attached that feeling to that label and all of its baggage to these artists, especially considering how hard it is to even achieve one hit and how some of them have had long and successful careers, even though they never reached quite the level of stardom or of greatness or of success that that one hit had. A part of me wonders if some of this, some of this, uh, some of this sense that we've attached to that term has to do with a longing that we all have for greatness, for significance, but a longing for significance that lasts for more than just one moment. We all want to have more than just one moment of significance. We aspire to live lives of significance, 
Lives that are marked by ongoing significance. Lives that matter. Lives that make a difference. None of us want to live lives that could be characterized as one-hit wonders, do we? We want to live lives that have significance. Throughout the summer, we've been looking at key moments in the lives of the folks whose stories are told in the ancient scriptures. We've been looking at moments in their lives that transform them and shape their legacy. And we've called these moments signature moments. But their lives were more than just those moments. Those moments were either part of a trajectory that they were already on, or those moments set them on a, on a trajectory of lasting impact, of lasting change, of ongoing significance. These people didn't just have signature moments, they lived signature lives. Today, through Timothy's story, what we'll do is look at the kinds of things that move us from experiencing a signature moment or signature moments to living signature lives. Lives that have ongoing significance, that have a lasting impact, lives that matter, the kind of lives we all want to live, don't we? Don't we all want to live those kinds of lives, the lives that make a difference? Timothy is thought to have become a follower of Jesus either during Paul's early travels through Lystra or later on because of the community that arose in Lystra thanks to Paul's preaching and Paul's ministry. By the time he is believed to have died many years later near the end of the first century, uh, Timothy has traveled throughout Asia with Paul on his missionary journeys. He's invested in a number of Christian communities that were emerging in that first century and he settled for many years in Ephesus as the leader of all the Christian communities and all the Jesus followers that had gathered there. Timothy lived a life of significance. He lived a signature life. So what elements contributed to that? What might we draw from the words we have in scripture about Timothy as we seek to live signature lives? From what we read today, we have a bit of a picture of what Timothy's life was like early on the type of people that Timothy came from. It tells us that his mother and his grandmother were Jews who heard the preaching of the gospel thanks to Paul's ministry and believed, and they did that before Timothy had. They had already likely been part of Timothy's early development in the Jewish faith. They were likely part of his early religious education as a child, and they likely also then invested in him as he took his first steps as a follower of Jesus. Paul traces Timothy's faith Paul traces Timothy's faith back to those women, back to Eunice and back to Lois. They have offered him a heritage of faith. On the other hand, Timothy's father had not been a Jew. It's possible that the reason Timothy isn't circumcised when Paul encounters him is because his father had not allowed it. His father was a Greek and, and likely ran that aspect of the house. The Greek terminology that's used when it starts to mention or when it mentions Timothy's father seems to give the indication that Timothy's father is no longer alive, that he's since passed. All of this, all of this heritage, all of this upbringing, all of this history, all of these things that were taught and imparted are part of who Timothy is, and it sets him up in part to be part of an emerging Christian community where we have both Jews and non-Jews, many Greek, trying to figure out how to live together, trying to figure out how to manage what it means to be part of this emerging faith, this emerging uh, sort of community of Jesus followers and managing all the tensions, all the conflict that came with part of that. 
what he's inherited from those who came before him is part of his signature life. And living a signature life includes facing and dealing with our inheritance. Living a signature life includes reckoning with our inheritance. Friends, things have been passed on to us. Things have been handed to us. Things have been imparted to us. We carry in us the legacy of those who came before us, those who helped raise us up. And reckoning with that inheritance positions us to know what to do with it. Because there are things that we've inherited that we must honor, that it's good and right and true to honor and be thankful for and celebrate. And there are things that we've inherited that do us no good and that it's time to reject. And there are things that we've inherited that need God's redemption. We honor some of it like Timothy does with the faith example left by his mother and his grandmother. We reject some things that we no longer want to be part of who we are. We have legacies of people who did poor, made poor choices, who led poorly, who lived poorly, who thought poorly, who acted poorly. And some of that was passed on to us, and we must reject it. But still other things are things that, invite, that invoke pain and loss and grief and sadness. And for those things, we invite God's redemption to come in. We invite God to redeem those parts of our inheritance. Now, when I say redeem, I don't mean that all of a sudden all those things suddenly become good and worthy of honor. What I mean is inviting God's overarching truth that God doesn't let pain have the final word in our story. God doesn't let grief have the final word in our story. God doesn't let loss have the final word in our story. God doesn't let death have the final word in our story. God has a word beyond all those words. And God's word is good. That's what it means to invite God's redemption into our inheritance. Think about the kinds of things that have been passed on to you from those who came before you, those who helped raise you, those who set the path for you. There's no use ignoring those things because they're all there. And they've all had an impact on it, whether we realize it, whether we're willing to face it or not. But when we reckon with those things, they stop simply being there. They stop simply being there. And they move to being part of how we live signature lives. So take a moment right there and think. Is there something from what you've inherited that it's time to be active and thanking God for and celebrating? Is there something that you've been ignoring, but it's time to actually actively reject and renounce? And is there a place of pain, of grief, or loss that you need God's redemptive work to come in? That you need God to bring hope in? That the word of pain, the word of loss, the word of grief, the word of sadness, the word of betrayal is not the final word. That there is a word of hope. Would you take those steps today? A few weeks ago, during one of our services at Pittsburgh, we took some time to send off the Waldstein family as they left us here in North Carolina and made their way to South Dakota for the next stage of their lives. During the service, we called them up front, and we invited anyone uh, who had a connection to them to come forward and be part of how we blessed them, right? And it felt like, it felt like half the room came forward. 
There are people who had been involved with them in small group, people who had volunteered with them, people who they had served as youth leaders, people who had taught their children and Chatham kids, and people who had seen their kids uh, um, sort of cared for by the kids as the kids grew and then volunteered at Chatham Kids. There were folks who befriended them. There were so many connections represented as folks gathered around them to pray for and bless them. This was a picture of one aspect of a signature life because signature lives are built in community. You catch some of this in Timothy's story when we hear about how the believers spoke well of Timothy. They spoke well of his faith. He was known. He was involved. He was engaged. When he made his profession of faith, it doesn't say that it was just in the presence of Paul or just in the presence of his mother or just in the presence of his grandmother. It says it was in the presence of many witnesses. There was a community that was part of his faith from its emergence to its ongoing development. You see it in his lifelong investment in the emerging communities all throughout Asia Minor, all throughout the places there Paul went. Part of the reason his, his is a signature life is that he lived his life in community, that he lived his life with people. Because here's what community does, friends. Community refines. Community affirms. Community connects. Community corrects. Community challenges. Community comforts. And community helps. And we need all those things for our lives. And folks need us to be part of all of that for their lives too. Friends, signature lives are lived in community. How much of your life is being lived in community? How often are other people with you in the triumphs, in the challenges, in the successes, in the gains, and in the losses? How often are people with you? When was the last time someone outside your immediate family knew you well enough to give you a specific encouragement? When was the last time someone knew you well enough to give you the corrective word that you needed when you were veering off course? Friends, if you've got no one in your life who knows you well enough and loves you strong enough to offer a corrective word when you need it, and let me tell you, we all need one every once in a while, then perhaps it's time to step into community, to build your life in community. In addition to being part of communities throughout his life, there was also something special about Timothy's relationship to Paul and Paul's relationship to, Thim to Timothy. They cultivated something specific. You could say that they cultivated a signature relationship, and this is part of living a signature life. You could put whatever label you want on this type of relationship. You could call it a mentoring relationship. You could call it a discipleship relationship. You could call it an apprenticeship. You could call it sort of a father-son type of bond. Whatever you want to call it, it was part of both of their signature lives. Their lives together were marked by invitations extended and accepted, by lessons taught and learned, by prayers prayed with faith. Paul is the one who's laying hands on Timothy. When the Spirit of God comes upon him and his gifts begin to emerge, it's Paul that's with him in that moment. There is trust conferred as part of this relationship. There are responsibilities given, and there is ongoing support offered. Along with that, there's affection, deep affection expressed, and there's assistance offered when one or the other is in need. Now, let me be clear. We can't have those kinds of relationships with everyone. 
And in fact, we can't have those kinds of relationships with anyone. But all of us need some of them in our lives. All of us need at least one. Sometimes it happens to happen with a family member, and if that's the case, fantastic. That's great. Other times, not. Regardless, I'm willing to wager that anyone who has lived any life worth emulating had at least one of those relationships in their lives. A woman from Puerto Rico was working with the American embassy in Japan. During the COVID pandemic, when things were shut down, the embassy started to put on seminars and conferences over Zoom, and they sometimes would send invitations widely and broadly to invite people to join. The Puerto Rican woman was offering uh, a seminar on women in the STEM fields, and a young Japanese girl logged on. After the seminar, the girl emailed the Puerto Rican woman, expressing an interest in robotics and asking questions about what she should do next. What has emerged from that first conversation is an ongoing mentoring relationship where the woman from Puerto Rico, in conjunction with the girl's parents, is playing a key role in her pursuit of her career, of her profession, of her dreams, of her passions, advising her on what opportunities to pursue, and putting her in touch with the kinds of people that she needs to know as she continues to develop and grow. It's the kind of opportunities the girl wouldn't have access to otherwise. It's taken intentionality. But that kind of relationship is going to have a long-term impact, not just on the girl's life, but on the woman's life as well. It's a signature relationship, and it's beautiful. One of the gifts of having many of Paul's writings as part of his signature relationship with Timothy uh, is that we get to see how Paul wrote and likely spoke to and about Timothy. There is instruction in what Timothy writes to and about Timothy. There is correction, and there is so much encouragement, so much warmth, so much affection. And I want to take a moment, an aside. I want to speak, I want to speak to the folks around, among us who are just a little bit older, now, what I'm going to say applies to everyone, but there's a special role that y'all play. Your words in the lives of those who look to you matter. Your words and the prayers you pray for the people who look to you matter. Your words to, their, to your children, whether they are young or adult, matter. Your words to your grandchildren matter. Your words to your nieces and nephews matter. Your words to your, aunt, to, your, to, to your godsons and goddaughters matter. Your words to your students, whether you're in the education field or volunteer at Chatham Kids or in Mosaic, matter. Your words in the after-school programs that many of you volunteer for matter. They can make a difference. It's not just the words you speak to them, but the prayers you pray for them. So speak them because they need to be heard. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a show that takes place mostly in the late 1950s and the early 1960s, and it follows a woman in New York who discovers that she has a knack for stand-up comedy and a passion for it, and she decides to pursue a career in it, and it is a hard road for her. In the last season, there's a scene where her father is reflecting on her daughter's career and life and his engagement, or should I say lack thereof, in it. He's sitting with friends. And he's troubled. And he says, my daughter was dumped by her husband out of nowhere. But instead of collapsing from the weight, she emerged stronger. A new person. Or so I thought. But now I think perhaps that was who she was all along. 
and I never took her seriously. And as unfathomable as this career choice of hers is, she's doing it on her own with no help from me or her mother. Where did this come from, he wonders. This strength, this fearlessness that I never had. And here's the part I don't want us to miss because he closes his reflection by saying, what could she have been if I had helped her and not ignored her? Ignored who she really is. My daughter is a remarkable person, and I don't think I've ever said that to her. Don't let that be your story. Don't let that be the reflection that you have later on in life. Speak the words. They need to be heard. Pray the prayers. They need to be spoken. They are part of the signature life, not only for you, but for the people who need to hear them. Early on in Paul's relationship to to Timothy, he offers Timothy a chance. He invites him along on the journey. Timothy would need to leave his family and likely his job in order to follow Paul. It would not be a journey without cost, right? Right from from the start, he'd need to be circumcised. But there was something about the invitation that made it seem like it was worth it. So he said yes. And that yes was a turning point of his signature life. Say yes to the signature opportunities and signature invitations that are going to come your way. They are turning points in our lives. They don't come every day. Sometimes they come out of the blue with no setup. But you recognize them because they call us out of the routine. They can be disruptive. And there's often a cost attached, an invitation to sacrifice. They are the kinds of invitations and opportunities that call us into becoming the people we were meant to be, the people we were created to be. And there's a part of us when they come that knows deep down inside that yes is the right answer and that it's time to say yes. And yet often fear is the voice that holds us back. When those invitations come, say yes. Say yes. Don't withhold your yes. On June 1st, 2019, Andy Ruiz stepped into a boxing ring to face unified heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua. Joshua was a dominant champ, and he looked every bit the part of dominant champ, looking forward to many years on top. Ruiz did not look the part of a boxing champ. Ruiz didn't look like he was much of a boxer. The odds were heavily in Joshua's favor. And when Ruiz went down in the third round, it looked like all the odds makers were right. It looked like it would be a short night. But in a series of events that could have been scripted right out of a Rocky movie, Ruiz rose from the canvas. And after three knockdowns, he became the first Mexican heavyweight champion of the world. It was his signature moment. He was overjoyed. In December of that year, the two met again. But the Ruiz that showed up that night was not the Ruiz that had showed up six months before. He wasn't in shape. He hadn't really trained, and he lost. What he had done is he had neglected all the habits, all the things that had set him up for his signature moment. Now, his story's not over, and he's made the corrections from those mistakes, but the lesson is there, and I want us to hear it. Don't stop at a signature moment. Press on towards a signature life. The things that set you up 
for a signature moment will prepare you for the next one and the one after that to live the kind of signature life that we were made for and is available to us. In order to help us press on toward that signature life, I want to leave us with some of the things that Paul wrote to Timothy that likely helped him press on beyond his signature moment through to his signature life. They are signature exhortations of Paul. And I want to invite you to consider whether one or more of these is the word that you need to hear today as you seek to press on toward a signature life. So hear these words spoken over you and see which one is for you. Fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Fan into flame the gift of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. If one of these is for you, grab hold of it today. The Lord has a good word for you. The Lord wants you to press on. The Lord wants you to live more than simply a signature moment. He wants you to have more than a one-hit wonder kind of life. He wants all of us to live signature lives. That's what we were made for. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you put in us a desire to live lives of significance, lives that matter, lives that make an impact. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to that. Thank you that you don't call us to do it alone, but you place people around us, Lord, for those of us here who are doubting whether that's the kind of life you were made us, you made us for. May we hear your voice calling us forth. May you hear, may we hear your voice saying how much we matter to you, how valuable we are to you. And may we say yes to life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.